This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sheila Shaw again, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week I speak to army man Ray Goggins. What do you think you've learned most from your um, your life in the army in, in, in private security? Um, being calm. Okay. If you remain calm it's a superpower it's an absolute superpower for you first of all and for everybody around you after that so when you have a situation where it's like meltdown and there's like madness around you there's people dying whatever it is um, if you can just take that half a second two seconds to just calm yourself whatever your techniques is to do that and instead of having a reaction have a response Mm. and understand that difference and it, you first don't worry about everybody else around you take that couple of seconds get yourself ready and then as I said earlier take that one step take the next step purpose the small little details concentrate on that then you build your confidence it'll get better get better get better that's, that's what I've learned so being calm is the key factor in your life Ray served in the Irish Army for 26 years, including 17 years in the Army Ranger Wing, and he now spends a lot of his time working with corporate teams in his role as director of training and leadership company Core Skills. Originally from Cork, he lives in Kildare with his wife Sinead and their two kids, Dan, who's 13, and Louisa, who's 10. And in this conversation, we talk about his book, Ranger 22, and the recent success of hit TV show, Special Forces Ultimate Hell Week. He also shares the best advice he ever got, and he speaks about the power of staying calm in any situation. 
and I started the chat by asking him about Ultimate Hell Week and how close it is to the real experience. Yeah, it's it's as close as we can make it. Like, you have to understand the mindset for guys going on. The real one is, like, people ask, I hear people saying about the show, why would people do that? Yeah. Um, in the real one in the military, you do that because that's your entry test to get into special forces. So you have to go through that process. So that's why guys do it. Uh, for the civilian one and for the professionals, like, it just shows the calibre that they are, that they would do it. Like, there's no monetary bonus for them. There's yeah, no yeah. particular, they might get a pat on the back if they do get through. So it just shows why. But um, it is as close as we can make it to the real thing. Obviously, there's no kind of uh, threat involved. There's no military. There's no tactics. There's no like weapons training, communication stuff. Yeah. All the stuff that you need to learn to be an operator. So we don't have all that. And we can't really put pressure on them tactically. Okay. Uh, but we, we do all the, the other stuff. So we do like, it's all mindset. It's all yeah. self-belief. It's all about commitment. And they're the three things we target for the whole show. And you always talk about that, that, you know, at the end of the day, Physically, we have a breaking point, hmm. but then what takes over is the mindset, is what's in your heart and soul, and Absolutely, that yeah. keeps you going. Yeah, so it is. And what people have said to me uh, previously is, uh, look, you, you, you break them down, and I'm saying, no, we don't break them down. We're trying to pull the best out of them completely, and they don't even realize what their best is. Yeah. Yes, they were all athletes, and they performed at the highest levels for whatever event they had, and they trained hard for it, but they didn't have that experience of having five complete days like of 24 hour days almost where they're completely pressurized so then you become you go into a different part of your yourself in that environment so you find reserves of strength and power that you never thought you had all of them yeah and and i suppose people like you know throw themselves into different situations be it like going on a retreat to kind of get to know yourself a bit better or just stepping out of your comfort zone or whatever way i suppose this is an extreme form of it but you you probably really do meet yourself and get to know what you're really made of yeah you do and like i i coined a phrase on the show that people would you know we'd be in their souls and that's yeah. not just like a tagline for the crack mm. it's you actually are because to pass that course you absolutely have to bear your soul completely and, yeah. and who you are regardless of your fitness and what you've done so that's what the people who even if people who don't get to the end the people who get the most out of that experience are the people who are most themselves and get into themselves the most and bring the most. It didn't seem like there was any room for ego. I mean, there, would, there wouldn't be in the real deal anyway. No, there isn't. People think you're all these. Look, don't get me wrong. There is a certain amount of like uh, chest beating and guerrilla stuff yeah, which yeah. gets you through certain environments, but it's not all about that. So y you learn that like you're only as good as your last mistake, really. So you need to learn from those things. And like guys' ego, when they come in as young operators, yeah, of course, they're full of beans and stuff, but it gets pared down as they get through operations and missions and they realize that it's about that bond and yeah. actually vulnerability is a good part of it as well because you know exactly what you're good and bad at and like you can step into that zone then with other guys because you know you're informed today so you're carrying the team you mightn't be good tomorrow the, one of your colleagues will be good he'll sort something out so that's the way it works so that's why the ego thing is kind of a uh, is yeah. pared down very much yeah and it's interesting to hear you say that about vulnerability because i suppose you know on paper you wouldn't necessarily think that you think it's all about like bravado and and you know putting your best foot forward but it is important to know where your your own weaknesses are and we all have them yeah absolutely like if you don't know what you're weak at or what you're afraid of like you, you can't excel it's impossible because you'll you'll keep on avoiding those things okay or you'll hide those things or you'll you know you'll bluff about them oh, yeah. no, i'm not into that where you need to i won't say meet them head on but you need to start taking bits of them and taking it away and realize you know you can get it to a position where you're comfortable with a fear or something you're not good at but if you know like for example i'm a team leader of six guys 
yeah. I'm not good at like parachuting or something, for example. Like, so I would use other guys for that asset or someone else to take the lead on that. Okay, I example. get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and you learn that over time and you learn that, yeah, if you do make an absolute mess of something, like it's okay, like once you move on, yeah. you know, move on. Well, let's talk about all the stuff that you are good at because there's, <laughs> okay, there's, yeah. there's a long list. Um, <laughs> the book is Ranger 22 and I suppose we saw it in the TV show that everybody, you know, left their name at the door and they became a number. So you did the training at, at the beginning. I think you'd only been like in, in the army maybe two years or so yeah, yeah. when you did the training first. So you were a young lad, what, early 20s? I was early 20s, yeah. Okay, and didn't go according to plan no it didn't it was you look again it was lack of experience in my part I was young fit strong even though yeah you are tested to a certain degree in the regular army obviously look I was you know my fitness and my ability I was at probably 75% I was never tested completely yeah. so I decided I'd try these guys because I'd seen them at um, what they call a road show they come around in the bandwagon you know hooking fellas in like the Pied Piper and everyone okay. yeah everyone yeah. follows them up to the car and gets killed <laughs> so I followed him up to the car right and, uh, thinking I'm this yeah this I'm the man like should have stretched okay. like I'm fit and I thought you're sure, fit. that's all I need to be able to do yeah, I'm okay. the push up champion no <laughs> absolutely not so your, your, your fitness leaves you extremely quickly right yeah and then as we said earlier you're down to heart and soul and for me what let me down on the first time round was I didn't believe in myself enough for a start so okay. You know, I started worrying about things, you know, they're going to make me do this, they're going to make me do that. Like, and I was trying to think about things that were completely outside my control. And, you know, in a pressurized environment or to be resilient, if you start worrying about stuff you can't affect, then you're, you're straight away you're on the back foot. Yeah. So the whatever bit of kind of self-belief and kind of opinion I had of myself has been undermined constantly. So that was probably a big part of it. Um, secondly, I hadn't committed to it completely. I kind of said to myself, ah, sure, look, I'll try it out instead of going, look, yeah, I'm passing this no matter what which mm. is what the attitude I should have had yeah, right. going up and, and the final thing was preparation for me I didn't prepare enough to get ready for it so there were the three reasons I believe I didn't pass the first time around and I believe afterwards you know um, the instructors the people involved were, were kind of saying look you were, you, were, you were doing good yeah I was actually shocked one of the main instructors there who was running the course is an extremely senior yeah. um, officer now in the military he's at the, the top level and we only spoke about this again recently because we still have a friendship. Um, I worked with him later on. But, you know, you, like when you're in that zone where you think, oh, I'm struggling here, I'm barely hanging on. Like, you know, you're starting to doubt yourself. That voice in your head is getting louder and louder and louder to quit. Mm. Um, and your reason why you're doing it isn't as strong enough, you know. So then I went in to talk to him as my kind of leaving interview. And he was like, he was, couldn't believe it. I, I was going, you know, I was going, Jesus, if I just got that hint 12 hours before, maybe it'd push me on. But again, that's the whole idea of the process in, in the show and in the, in the military. You have to do it for yourself. You yeah. can't, the, the, the instructors can't do it. The teachers can't do it for you. You got to do it. So. Mm. And maybe everything has its time and place. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think emotionally I was ready for it either, even if I had passed that phase of it, like, emotionally. You're so young. Yeah, but even, look, it's not, I was emotionally immature at the time, I guess. Like, I know guys who've passed selection at 19. Okay, all they're, right. They're focused, they're prepared, they're ready to go. Actually, a very good friend of mine that I did selection with was only 19 doing it. Go away. And, abs- like, like, like a granddad, totally focused. Okay. Beyond his years, great yeah, guy. For yeah, me yeah, at the yeah. time, no, I had a bit of living to do first before sure. I was ready for it. So. so you came back, what, seven or so years later? Yeah, seven years later, yeah. Yeah. So, kind of on a, a roundabout kind of way. And at that stage, like, you had already achieved a lot in your in yeah. your military c- career. Yeah, I was serving in Cork at the time in the infantry. Um, I got to myself in a position of trust, like, junior rank as an NCO, where I was responsible for, like, training people and leading teams and so on and so forth. Mm. Had done some operations overseas, which was great experience and great crack with lads from the West of Ireland as well. I could have probably easily have stayed in that place comfortably and had a pretty good career, you know, 
like I'd have you know I'd, I'd have made rank easier I'd have probably ended up retiring at a higher rank and all that kind of stuff but it was always in the back of my head like that you know it was calling me right. it was calling me calling me like always there and uh, eventually I kind of set conditions correctly it was actually after my father passed away the year before I went on selection I said to myself right life is too short here mm. I've been kind of this has been a mission for me ish for years and I've been getting ready for it but with no actual plan to really go and do it and I said okay this is the time to do it so for that year after my father passed away I just trained completely for selection and went on it do you think that um you know the fact that you were grieving the death of your dad and that that gave you maybe an extra bit of focus bit yeah. of drive yeah I think so yeah like uh, I had a f- kind of a few major issues in my life that year before it and you know a huge one immediately before it where I, where I split from my, my wife uh, unfortunately at the time yeah uh, which was like traumatic so it was within days of the course so for me that put me in a position where I had no choice so like there was basically a gun put to my head as far as I was concerned to f- pass that course because you know, my life in Cork, and I was very happy there, w- had changed completely. So the life I lived was probably over. Yeah. So, yeah, like, so I know where to go, really. So I had to pass it you in my head. You threw yourself into that's, it. I used that as a positive because, like, you know, I just focused completely on what I could do to make it better. So I was saying, look, yeah, if I have to go back to Cork, I'll have to deal with this, this and this and this. But if I go up here to these lads, then it'll be a new life. And that's yeah. basically what I did just changed my life so if it's not too personal what was the time frame from because I know you were yeah. you were married two years yeah 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 so um, from your dad passing away to the breakdown of your first marriage okay. what was the timeline it was uh, less than a year okay that's intense that's a yeah. lot to, to contend with yeah yeah it was it was tough at the time but again you know it gave me focus because I remember sitting in the house days before I went on selection when all this was going on and I'd uh, you know I got to that moment and I said look there's kind of two ways I can do this Yeah, I can just like kind of keel over and just you know fall apart or I can focus now on this mission which I did Yeah, which I did and it worked out it worked out great you know yeah and also you come from a long line of army people yeah your dad your granddad your great grandfather yeah and beyond so and it was something that was kind of quietly I won't even say quietly spoken about I knew my father was in the military obviously because he'd Mm. been in the Congo and he retired by the time I came along, so um, never really spoke about the army, never went back to the barracks, had no old army friends would call around, so you might get the odd story. I, I was a devil for going through old photographs, digging them out, and I'd be finding pictures of him in the Congo. Like I said, it was a picture of him with this kind of like a helmet that you'd see in a Tarzan movie, okay. and, and a monkey. Right. And I'm going, who's this fellow? Like, where does this come from? It's yeah, a great yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to ask him about the army constantly, and he, he'd, all, he'd tell me a few stories, but not in major. Um, but then his, uh, after he died, then I... And that, that's typical as it well. It is typical, isn't it? It's an Irish thing. Yeah, absolutely. And but also, I, I would imagine there's a, so much of, of, in terms of what you do, that's quite secretive. Yeah. That it, you don't talk about. Well, that's probably a two, I suppose, for his time. Um, like, that was long before Special Forces came around in the Irish Army. and Sure. But, like, I suppose most soldiers are like that. You just, an Irish... You get on with it. You do, and you don't bring home big... St- war books and stuff of that's just me I'm doing one of that so far but uh, <laughs> yeah the thing about my father was like he, he never spoke about his father in the military ever and I actually didn't know my great my grandfather served in the great war until after my father died okay because wow. I, I'd found a medal and did some digging and so on and so forth and then you know I, I did a bit of uh, more digging and I found my great grandfather had served and was actually an awfully man which I couldn't believe because okay. I because I have a, good, a couple of good before friends that I continually yeah. slag. Yeah, okay. So then I realised I had before blood as well. So it's a bit of a trauma for me. I love it. Yeah. So You'd be a great contender for that show, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? 
Possibly, yeah. The genealogy yeah. show, yeah. yeah. But, but you've already... Well, already... they'd have to bluff it because I know all the answers now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So how far have you gone back? I've gone back to like the early 1800s. Have you? Um, wow. To Moneygall in Offaly. All right. Where my great-grandfather was born. So you're practically Barack Obama's cousin. Yeah, there, sure, there yeah. you go. Like, that's, that's where I was just destined for great things. Myself <laughs> and Barack are on the same boat here. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Deadly. So this is now, what, 1997, 98? E, yeah, so my father passed away in 98, went on selection in 99. Right. So the following year then, and um, that was kind of like September. Can you explain the process, the training? Okay. So what we see on, on TV is getting you geared up, Maria, for the selection uh, wing yeah. of, of the, the Army Ranger uh, training. Yeah. Excuse my ignorance. No, it's okay. It's okay. Right? You're actually very accurate. Am I? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in real life, what is, how long does the training take? Okay, so the old way, there's a different syllabus now. It's, okay. It takes like nearly a year now for a guy to get trained. Right. Like from start to finish, or flash the bang, as we call it. Um, and my, when I did my one, so you do like a, a four weeks of that kind of stuff you see in the show, which is just like mayhem. Mm. And you're just being killed constantly for four weeks. Then you get a week break. And then you go into a six-month training regime, which are which is teaching you to be a ranger, basically. Okay. The first four-week phase is what, what I we used to coin the phrase, you put the monkeys up the tree, you shake the tree, and you see what monkeys fall out. So it's all physical, wet and cold, hungry, no sleep, all the stuff you see in TV, but for four weeks. And the failure rate is really high It's incredibly stage. high, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. my first course that I mentioned that I failed on uh, there was something like 128 of us started. I think like nine guys got through in the end. Wow, right. And what's funny, when I, when I quit, the guy who was my buddy, mm. um, very good guy, called Sean, uh, as I left and was trying to t- talk me about not going, come back seven years later when I'm on selection. He was one of my instructors. All right. So well. it was great. And loved yeah. putting the boot me. It was fantastic, <laughs> which is another Irish thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but for me then, that year, that training, um, for me, I was lucky because I had being put on a physical training instructor's course in the Curra for six months. So I was learning how to train all the time and I was, you know, evenings free. So I trained, trained, trained. On the weekends, I'd go home. And the thing about selection is you need to build your leg strength for carrying all the, the heavy equipment in the mountains. So mm. like running around, in, you know, isn't going to do that for you. You need to get into the hills with kid on. So every weekend, I used to meet a friend in the Galtys. We used to walk the length of the Galtys. So we'd walk on a Saturday camp out and walk back on a Sunday so that's like 50 miles of walking just wow. a bit of legs around. so that's what I, I was that's where my focus was because you know after my father had passed away I decided look yeah this is where I'm going this is where I want to be like so you're training physically how do you train psychologically yeah so yeah to build your self-belief your self-belief comes from knowledge um, and um, your self-belief comes from your own ability your experiences and what you learn so I found out by taking on kind of like I built it compared to my first course in that intermediate uh, seven years I had served overseas, I'd led patrols, I'd been involved in various situations where I realised, okay, I can do this, I can lead these guys, I can, you know, I can affect this positively. Mm. So that had a big effect on me. Um, to get ready for selection then, what builds your self-confidence is obviously your fitness, mm. your knowledge of military kind of, you know, navigation, communications, weapons training, you know, all the stuff I'd be tested on. So I was going through, you know, repeat training that constantly. Um, the kind of psychological side of that then preparing yourself for the adversity is hard to do so what I used to do is get friends of mine to run like a training event for me as a surprise okay. so to right. get me off guard you know it could be anything so I just turn up for it it could be anything wow yeah 
Yeah. Mental. Mental, yeah. But like, yeah, but you have to like, the God. thing about the, the preparation side of it, like it's key because, you know, I was lucky that I, I knew exactly why I had failed the first time around. And I knew the three things I was weak on that I could target those. And that's what I did. And then as I discovered, once we went on operations, real ones, um, that the hardship goes off the scale then on those because you can't put your hand up and say, look, I need, I have enough, I'm, I'm over yeah, here. Yeah. You're in a real operation somewhere where people's lives are in your hands and so on. And you have to absolutely give everything. So that's, that's the way it works. That's the reality of it. Mm, of course. Well, I mean, I say, of course, I don't have no, a clue, but, let's yeah, be honest. But, but it is like in any life, you know, no matter what we do in our lives, like there's certain things we need to do, like whether you want it or not. I suppose the whole special forces thing is that extreme mm. part of it. And like all the values are very similar. Like look at those athletes, what they brought and those core values they bring. We have the same values. We have the same core things that we work on. We just do it at a kind of an extreme level and maybe a more extreme focus. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So that's probably the only difference. More extreme than what we saw on telly. Yeah, like it's absolutely. Gas. absolutely. I was like, like, how can it get more extreme? Oh, Jesus, it does. Yeah, it does. It does. Wow, wow. Yeah. So what did it feel like? So you said like, you know, first time around um, out of over 100 or whatever the number was, only about nine got yeah. through the first the first four weeks. How many got through to selection? And at the end of that process, knowing that you made it, well, what did that feel like? It's, there's no words to describe it. Like there was on my course, there was eight of us got through. Um, mm. As as as, got, as guys, there was two in, the, in that day. Uh, there was actually ten of us in total. But officer guys from the officer court is a different system. They have to go off and do other stuff. So there was eight of us went okay. to the unit, and that link with those eight guys, even to now, like they're akin to brothers. The eight of us, like we're all, all over the world now doing different things, but we meet up once a year. We're you know WhatsApp. We're always talking, yeah. chatting because we have that bond. bond. Um, but that feeling of like uh, even that first phase of four weeks I mentioned, where you cross the line. And you do a marathon at the end of it, right? With all your kit on, with about like 120 pounds of kit. And, what? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so th- and this is on the back of all this the other a, stuff this you've is done. This at the end of the fourth of four weeks, yeah. And uh, wow. So you do that. That's your finish thing. It's, it's, they call it the walk back. Um, and then you get you get back to the ranger headquarters, and like it's a bit surreal for a while because you know it's kind of within seconds it's finished, and you're kind of going Jesus, and like people are congratulating you, but. Trying to soak it in takes a long time. Like, it probably took me a couple of weeks to soak it in, to be honest. You know, really. I can like, only imagine, yeah. Yeah. And then you're in there and, like, you're, you know, the next phase, then you get a week off where I couldn't walk, really, for the week. And I remember one of my sisters saying to me about, like, you know, I was, like, sleeping probably 20 hours a day and waking up and just eating all the time. Yeah. I just had, like, actually the bed where I was sleeping, I just had loads of food. Next as I woke up, I just eat and then go back to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then after your week's rest, then you go back and you're on a kind of a recovery phase for the first three weeks because you're all broke up sure we're like a load of old men bouncing around uh, so you know the, the physical training is easy it's a lot of lecture based for the first couple of weeks to get you back in and then when your body is good then again they go at you then again 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 yeah yeah but n- not not always as, as intense, intense as you see on right. the show uh-huh. but but phases of it where it gets brought up to that for a week and then maybe brought back down something else up and down then how quickly were you were you put into action yeah really quickly because we are kind of um, what's called it used to be called skills training back then was kind of curtailed because we had a live operation where the unit was deployed to East Timor mm. and we were going to be heading out there as well. So we were kind of, I did almost some of my skills training in Timor. So we went to the jungle for five months, which yeah. is brilliant because like, you know, I had served in Lebanon four times at this stage, you know, and like, yeah, it is, it is pretty extreme and a pretty dangerous place, but it's like a garrison really. You're in a kind of a base, you know, it's very kind of structured, very routine based, as, as, a, as dangerous as I said. Um, 
but the whole jungle thing living in the jungle in monsoon in a tent and like patrolling in the jungle like that experiences was phenomenal like you know it was this great crack it just sounds like a movie, movie it, it is yeah but like a really kind of it's, it looked like the mission it, it was on recently there and RT <laughs> I was watching it and uh, that rain there's a scene in the jungle that rained and it just brought me back to Timor because when it rains there it's like being in the shower okay it's yeah it's mental like and nothing it's impossible to be dry impossible yeah, but it's yeah. good though you just get on it a bit of crack as well I love, love a bit of crack when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So how do you think your dad would have um, felt about you, you know, becoming an army ranger? Um, I, I think he'd have been, he wouldn't have said much. He was quite a calm individual. Um, I think once you just do your best and get on with it, he, he'd be happy enough because that's the way he was. He was a very composed, calm man. Um, if you got things wrong, never really bothered him, you know. Never really bothered. No, if you stood in front of the telly when Man United were playing, that might bother him, you know. <laughs> but uh, in general, no. He, yeah, okay. I think he'd have been pretty happy, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So was he was he a man to um, kind of hold back in terms of criticism and praise? Or I uh, know he he'd praise you very quickly. Um, okay. And he'd temper his criticism very well. Uh, he'd he'd. He was the kind of man where you would you would hate to have him um, criticise you at all. Like okay. for me, I would dread even if he wouldn't even have to say anything. If you've done something and you made a mess of something, like even that walking in to see him, he'd say nothing. He wouldn't say anything to him. you. You just feel good at like mm. uh, you let him down or you know what I mean, so on. So I always found with that that quiet. I won't say disdain. That's not fair. Um, that quiet kind of. Um, disappointment yeah maybe yeah, yeah, like, we, yeah a I little think, bit yeah I think a lot of people will you know we don't, we don't have to be in the military to appreciate that disappointing um, a parent can sometimes be far more difficult to take than when they're screaming and roaring at you yeah when they're yeah. disappointed with you that's harder yeah it is like and, and the thing about it as well he was just so kind of nice about it that was, that's just what made it worse you'd okay. prefer if he showed it at yeah. you or gave you a clout or something but he did he never yeah. did he never did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, so like your career has obviously spanned 
I think, was it 26 years in the army? In the army. And then, like, uh, yeah, I suppose if you look in at the private security stuff, another four or five, and then a couple of years in the FCA before that. So, like, I was a soldier from 15, really. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. And now you're obviously in a, in a completely different zone because I suppose your your entire career was, a lot of it was shrouded in secrecy because it yep. was the nature of the work. Absolutely, yeah. Don't talk about it. No. First rule of Fight Club. Is That's it. it. Yeah, <laughs> you, don't talk about, you don't talk about it. You and here you are now with the book. Is is there a bit of a, was that, was that a difficult decision to make? Yeah, it was. And to be honest, like, um, it wasn't my idea about the book. Uh, came off the back of the show, I guess. And like uh, the good people at Gills gave me a shout and said, look, would you be interested in doing it? And I was kind of, hmm. So like I was kind of, you know, I was out of the shallow as the song goes at this stage. Yeah, yeah. And I said, OK, so I, I started writing stuff. And like there was certain people like to contact, of course, because like, yeah, there's loads of interesting stuff I could talk about. I'm sure there's like, plenty in the book that, that, that are, there's plenty that isn't in the book that could have been. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So like what I kind of, the challenge was what message I wanted to get across and how I could get it across. So uh-huh. like I didn't want it to be like another war book or something like that about, like, you know, like. Not that they're a dime a dozen, but like you get guys from British guys, Americans, German, they're all writing those left, right and centre and mm. fighting huge wars left, right and centre. So I was never going down that road. Um, but I was interested in the fact that like uh, I made contact with my former unit, for example, for the RW and, you know, had a certain link with them to f- look, this is what's going to happen a few months out from it. Yeah. This is what I'm doing and got their kind of blessing a little bit. Um, the same, the Department of Defence a little bit. Um anyone I worked for in the likes of Afghanistan and stuff like that because like it's a very small community like and a few like and it still is I'm very much involved in that community with people and a few kind of like it's like where you're from in the west of Ireland like you know mm. everyone knows everyone and people have a certain yeah, yeah. kind of way and if you're going to do something that might cause offence you just might tip people off first of course. it's always easier Yeah. so yeah I got great support then as well from everyone about it so it was great how do you find this newfound fame? Oh, jeez, I wouldn't say fame. No, you sound like my uh, yeah, my wife be laughing at this. Um, I'm, <laughs> but I, there is an element. I, there is an element of there is there of, is of no. You're right, and, and I'm not being all modest by saying no, there's not. <laughs> no, I get it. Like, and look, after the first shows, people recognise us a little bit. It's a lot more now, obviously, yeah. because of the book and everything else. But like, I think I'm dealing with it well because. Like people are very good about it, you know. No one has put it up to me yet and whipped their t-shirt off to fight me or anything like that so far. Yeah, yeah. But uh, people are very good. Um, I'm happy to talk to people. Strange enough, people think because I'm this person on the show that oh Jesus, don't talk to him. He's a nut job. Like I can be a nut job, but, but the, the gasting is when I met you outside straight away, what hits you in a split second is how just warm you are. Yeah. And and I I I, I was speaking. I only realised when I went to the loo. <laughs> before the chat I was speaking a million miles a minute that's me being slightly intimidated yeah, yeah. but weirdly I had no reason to be you because you have such a lovely natural way about you but I've been glued to the TV show yeah. you see <laughs> for weeks watching you be a bit mental and I'm yeah. thinking oh, I'm going to meet Ray yeah. <laughs> meet Ray a person oh don't worry he's there too that fella's always yeah, okay. there yeah but like um, n- not straight away <laughs> not straight away when do you bring him out in real life um uh, rare enough, I guess. Like, but it's even the focus of it and the kind of the composure of it with him. You know? Right, That's what with him, I love him, yeah. it. But like, does he have a name? No, it's, it's me. It's just, all me. Just, there's no like, just another, there's no, there's no kind of psycho, and it's just you're in that zone of training and testing these guys. So that's who you are, like in that time. Um, look, yeah, when I'm putting my young lad, when I'm almost a discipline, or when we're doing stuff at home, or giving out to someone, that guy is there as well. Like you know. Well, let's talk about your kids because you did say you did say it before we start chatting as well. Um, I don't know how we were talking about kids and discipline and different things, and you were saying you put him in the plank position. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, because I found like that at his age profile and kids like he's, he's 13. thirteen now. Yeah, my yeah. daughter's ten, and like 
you can give out all you want they don't hear a lot of it like okay. you know so you need to put them in like it's like the show we get that stuff into their soul because we put them in a position where they'll hear you you yeah. know what i mean they're yeah. not so what i do with him and it worked out perfectly i'd put him in the plank done it probably when he was about 10 um, I'd get in the plank with him and right. we'd, we'd go face to face and we'd, be, and we'd chat about what he did or didn't do. And okay. it, it was effective because he's actually listening then. He's not giving out. He's not moaning about it. And hopefully by the end of the minute and a half or whatever, there's a bit of an understanding. And if there isn't, then you reset and go again. Okay. Or, you know. <laughs> But it, like, so he, you'll keep doing it till he learns a lesson. Yeah, but he has. Like, he's. It's not that it doesn't happen very often. He's quite a calm individual. He's he's very relaxed and he's actually too relaxed. Like sometimes you wonder is there a pulse at all? Like he's okay. totally chill out. Lay back. Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So do you see that he might follow in in your footsteps? Yeah, if he wants to, great. If he doesn't, great. Cool. Uh, so I'm just saying, my daughter, whatever they want to do. Like it doesn't mean he has to put on the boots like everyone down the line with the ancestors it's up to him what he does you know it's, it's, it'd be great when you, when you were a young lad how quickly did you aspire to, to being in the army I don't remember thinking about anything else oh really ever ever yeah. ever. ever wow so we used to go to Butlins as kids in the 70s and you know, yeah, the yeah. chalet process and running around the muck and people around are out playing there was a huge pitch and putt course and I used to be over playing like war in the bunkers yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, people are trying to knock golf balls around, and I'm crawling around the place, you know, getting ready, playing. So, yeah, but it was always in my so head. So it was in your blood, like. I think so, yeah, I think so. And if if I hadn't a military lineage, um, I don't know. Just it was just my in, in my DNA. You know, we 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 look at as 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 normal people, and I'm speaking from you know as myself and other people listening who who don't have experience of it as it's a real vocation, I suppose. The type of, you know you know being in the military being a soldier um, and, and you probably give up an awful lot yeah, yeah you do like other jobs you know like you know people in medics emergency services all, sure. all those people who like you know NGOs people who travel off helping other people it definitely is like and there's probably certain grades of it you can do like um, obviously the I won't say the more you go up that's unfair to say so in the regular army you probably get more time at home bare on overseas missions but once you go to special forces like you're on call 24-7 you know, even when you're in Ireland, you're, you're operation all the time. If you're not training, you're on an operation. And then when you do deploy somewhere, like you're, you're away. So I'll just, I'll just give you an example. When I was my first overseas trip, I was 19. And uh, I mentioned it in the book. Um, there was no phone calls and all that, this kind of stuff. So it was just writing letters. Yeah. So I was trying to explain this to my 10-year-old daughter recently. That uh, She was going like, why don't you just text? And why don't you just do a WhatsApp call or a video call? Mm. And I'm trying to explain. They didn't exist. So you're yeah. getting like... You know, it's like you see in the movies, the mail call and the, the post comes in once a week, you know, so it's, it's a huge part of it. But I suppose to answer your question, yeah, like all the service people, put, it's a huge sacrifice for the families as well, because they got to put up with a lot of stuff at home. Sure. Like my wife, you know, all the times I was away and even as I worked as a private security contractor, you know, she she wouldn't be able to ring me if I was doing certain jobs. I'd be off the grid for maybe a couple of days. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. And that's it. She'd have to deal with it or. You know, deal with all the normal day-to-day madness and even some crisis stuff herself. You know what I mean? So, was it hard to adjust to life back, uh, you know, back home afterwards? Yeah, I found it difficult uh, sometimes, uh, to be honest, because like the pressure of for me, like for I'll, I'll use Afghanistan as an example. I spent um, best part of three years in Afghanistan as a private security contractor. Mm. So I, I, my my life was broken down into a, a year. Where I'd, every two months I'm in Afghanistan for two months I'm home for a month Afghanistan two months home for a month so that kind of cycle for f- four times a year so for me flying into Kabul my mindset you know you're getting ready for work 
you're hoping the plane doesn't get shot down on the way in for a start that was always kind of a worry <laughs> yeah. um, so you, you, you get in there I'm in the mindset picked up ready to go into, what, into your job into protecting people I found that very easy to get into because I, I knew what to do and, you know, mm. and life becomes very simple all you're worried about is safety protecting people protecting yourself I don't have to worry about like the school run I don't have to worry about paying the mortgage I don't have to worry about someone being sick going to the dentist all that stuff so it becomes very simple okay. um, and you're trained so yeah. you kind of go into it's muscle memory yeah, to exactly. know what and to do yeah so everything's quite simple very straightforward very structured process um, mm. so on the other hand then flying out of Afghanistan uh, which would be brilliant always a great high delighted with yourself fantastic going home for a month off like who gets four weeks off four times a year fantastic Yeah. so we could do loads of stuff but I was always kind of conscious on the leg I'd fly into Dubai um, fly home then to Ireland and on the eight hour flight to Dublin sometimes I was as nervous as when I was flying into Kabul in a different way because like you know Sinead would meet me at the airport with the, with the lads like with the kids and it'd be brilliant and I'd be so excited and so happy but like there was different kids every three months you know because they'd, oh. they'd grow and I just found that quite difficult and for me then I was always kind of I suppose well, not pressure but you, you have to blend in at home home still goes on whether you're there or not so you can't jump in and it can't be Ray Goggins' plan after that then yeah. it has to be what the family are doing I just slot in so it, it's great don't get me wrong but it, I, I dealt with it but it, it could be difficult sometimes yeah yeah I and can only begin to imagine, yeah. As well, too, like, you know, everybody wants to see them for that month and, you know, meet this guy, meet that guy and meet your family, meet your friends. And the four weeks are over before you know it and you're back out there, you know. But, but that's the way it goes. Like. I, I'm sure I could ask you plenty of questions that you just wouldn't answer because, you know, there's probably, um, I suppose, a loyalty and, and, and ethically would feel inappropriate to, to, to kind of di- divulge too much. But I would imagine in your career you've, you've seen a lot and I'm, I'm sure you've been in traumatic situations. How do you how do you deal with that? So when you're coming home, say to your mm. wife and kids and and the normal like, you know, hearing about the kids and how they're getting on at school and, and all that kind of stuff. But you've just come from maybe a pretty difficult situation. And maybe you've seen stuff that most of us only see when we put, you know, sit in front of a movie with our you know, bowl yeah, of popcorn. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's Afghanistan is that kind of place. You know, it's in vogue at the moment. The last month people mm. seen it, but you know the three years I was there there's stuff happens every day that no one hears about and yeah. like the casualty rates are off the, off, the, off the scale and it's usually civilians being killed you know mm. uh, innocent people just trying to live their lives and get on with their day um, so yeah w- unfortunately look you'd have a lot to deal with there there's a lot going on um, I was involved in one of the biggest truck bombs in Afghanistan uh, yeah. like a seven ton um, tanker um, near a place where we worked so there was 140 people killed and there was like thousands injured and like trying to explain the carnage of that to people. Now, obviously I wouldn't talk about this at home. I mentioned it in the book and my wife knew about it, of course, mm. because it was on the news. But um, trying to deal with that at the time is straightforward because it's the process I mentioned earlier. You just do your process, you break it down, you do things very simply. So you, you, you're on purpose, you remain focused on what you're doing at that um, at immediate time. So for example, recovering people, getting people out, then you're searching for injured, dead, so on and so forth in the next phases. You don't think about what's going to happen next week. You don't think about what happened yesterday. You plan the, the next 20 minutes. Then you move on, move on, move on. That's what you do. So coming back then, uh, talking to people, I guess. Um, I had one kind of, I won't say episode, but one Christmas I was coming home. I was actually in Pakistan at this stage and I was getting six weeks off, which was great. But I came home for the six weeks and usually I was really focused for the months. I'd work as hard at home as I used to in, in Kabul to stay focused and be in a good place and have a bit of crack. But I just kind of relaxed a bit too much, I guess. And I probably, 
for a period of about a week or two, I just kind of, I just struggled a bit, you know what I mean? I wasn't focused. I wasn't, probably wasn't good company around the house. Like, you know, I wasn't doing a whole lot with the kids. And again, it being over Christmas, I was probably drinking more. Like, not that I was drunk all the time, but I was having probably a couple of beers and sure, yeah. just sitting around and bloody doing nothing, you know? But I, I probably, it was actually Sinead said to me, look, this, this isn't you, what's the story? So I kind of had to have a bit of a look at myself. And it was the effect of stuff that had happened in Afghanistan and Pakistan that yeah. I hadn't dealt with properly. And I did then, I did. I got back to my routine of sorting it out. A couple of days later, I was back on the horse, that was me. But it was a good kind of warning for me to, you need to focus on like your your positivity or your mental attitude towards life all the time, not just like once a week or every month. Like I, I kind of coin a phrase now for myself, what I do every day now. Um, there's three things I do every day. So I feed my body every day. So mm. I, if I train, walk, whatever it is, health. I feed my mind every day. I learn something new, like getting involved in stuff. And the third most important thing is I feed my soul. And how I do that is stuff that makes me really happy, whatever yeah. that is. And like they're the three things I do now every day, no matter what I'm doing. Um, and I non-negotiable. Find non-negotiable. And everyone should do that. Like give yourself an hour every day. Mm. Give yourself 20 minutes. Go for that walk at lunchtime because people underestimate the power of physical activity. It's yeah. like we're animals. We're designed to, be, to move. Yeah. And it, it just releases you from worries. It releases you from concern, you know, anxiety. It all helps. Yeah. So that's what I discovered in that time frame, which is good. Now, I knew it before that. I just had to relearn it. Sure, and look, it's... it's and we all do it. Yeah, in different ways, you know, when we hit that crisis point, we realise that maybe we let things slide that were beneficial to us. But um, so are you able to reset yourself on your own? Or do you, are you... Yeah. Are you on your own. Yeah. So even in a situation like that, see, I would have, I, I suppose, again, again, perhaps making an, un, you know, um, an assumption that you would need to see yeah. a therapist, a psychologist, yeah. psychotherapist, whatever, to talk through what you would experience. Because, I mean, you know, yeah. P- PTSD is, is, is... Oh, it is, yeah. And there's plenty, plenty of my friends suffer from it, you know, and they've, they've went down that road. For me, personally, like, the army was always very good. And the range of them in particular for, like, um, you know, your what we call after action stuff. So... You know, your decompression, talking to psychologists, mental health, getting rid of all the, the demons, moving on, learning the lessons and being, being good to go. Um, in the civilian world, it's not as good, I guess. But OK, yeah, I, I had my process of doing it myself that I used to do, but I failed to do it in that period of time because I was so focused on having six weeks off. I forgot about like, OK, I need to do this first. Take that box. Get I'm ready sure. to go. I missed that box and I just went back. And, you know, kind mm. of, I wouldn't say I unraveled a bit. I just struggled a bit for only for a week, 10 days. But, um, but I suppose to, to talk about, like you're saying, with psychologists, like I haven't spoken to psychologists per se. I have plenty of friends who are psychologists and work on me, I guess. And I have a couple of friends that I talk to. Uh, and I find that's the best way for me in a story kind of way um, to deal with it. That's what I do. Not that I have all these mad horrors in my head. Like, I, no. I, I, I don't. Um, I don't. But uh, yeah, it's important to be aware of it and to be able to deal with it. And if you can't deal with it, if I found I couldn't deal with it myself, I'd absolutely seek help. But I have a very good focus point because as a younger boy, I did martial arts for years. Yeah. And I found an incredible way to reset my mind from doing that. Because my brother-in-law, Mike, who's an amazing guy, taught me all these fantastic skills as a 13-year-old to like not just physical training, but emotional, mental, like empathy, all these fantastic skills that like I write about in the book that like, yeah, I, I got lo- a lot of it from the special ops as well, but mainly from his background. And that's how I got that mental strength, I guess, and being able to do that. 
from him. So you had that in the beginning before you even... I had a lot of it. I just realised how to use it better as yeah, I got yeah. older. And I could, could I explain to someone exactly how to do it now? I probably couldn't, like, you know. But yeah. in my head, I know what I need to do. Like, it's, it's, you know, I could give some guidance, I guess, but not, not, not all of it. Yeah. I would imagine it's an obvious answer probably to this question, but, you know, I'm sure you're very proud of what you've achieved in your career and what you've done so far and you're continuing to do obviously lots of very interesting work now but would you have regrets? Do I have regrets? Um, if I do they're not big ones. Um, yeah. I don't think I have any regrets because anything I wanted to try I did and yeah I don't think I have any regrets. Yeah yeah yeah. No. And this was a life choice that was, I suppose, really, it was destined for you. It was, it was always going to be, as you said, there was nothing else. Yeah, there was nothing else. It was just up yeah. to me what I did with it. And look, you know, could I have done better? Yeah, of course I could have. Like, did I make loads of mistakes? Absolutely, every five minutes. But like... Uh, but you I, owned them. I owned them, yeah. They're mine and are other people's when I pointed <laughs> at them. But uh, yeah, like, I have no regrets. You know, you heard a story about people on their deathbed saying, like, they're never, they never regret what they did. They regret what they didn't do. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I don't think there's anything that came on the radar for me that I wanted that I didn't do. Yeah. I, always, I always tried. Even if I didn't know how to do it, I'd, ch I'd chance my arm, all right, you know, I'd figure it out. Yeah. What do you think you've learned most from your... Um, your life in the army in, in, in private security? Um, being calm. Okay. If you remain calm, it's a superpower. It's an absolute superpower for you, first of all, and for everybody around you after that. So when you have a situation where it's like meltdown and there's like madness around you, there's people dying, whatever it is, um, if you can just take that half a second, two seconds, to just calm yourself, whatever your techniques is to do that, and instead of having a reaction, have a response hmm. and understand that difference. And it, you first, don't worry about everybody else around you. Take that couple of seconds, get yourself ready. And then, as I said earlier, take that one step, take the next step. Purpose, the small little details, concentrate on that. Then you build your confidence. It'll get better, get better, get better. That's, that's what I've learned. So being calm is the key factor in your life. That's how you described your dad earlier. You yeah, said he was I camp. did. Yeah. So are, are you are you quite like him? I probably am very like him. I'm I have probably a bit my mother too of me too who is a bit more kind of, you know, um passionate we'd say. So uh -huh. I have a lot of his calm, but I have some of her passion and her kind of force as well if that's what you want to use in a good way, you know. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. she's you know, I I can be quite kind of um is there an angry man inside me? Of course there is, but he's controlled because of the nature of my work. You have to be that person sometimes, you know, yeah. and I can do that. I believe your mother gave you some really good advice. She did. She yeah. did. Yeah. I, I said this to on an interview recently where like they had talked to all these professors and super people and athletes and they had wonderful like quotes and stuff like that. And brilliant. And I said, look, what my mother always said to me is do good things even when no one's looking. Yeah. And like if you keep that in your head all your life, like you're, you're in a good place. It's brilliant advice, isn't it? It's the best voice I ever got. And ever, like, yeah, but any of us, I think. Yeah. No, for anyone. Like, I'm 50 years old now, and, like, you know, I do, I do this with my kids. We talk about this. And, like, if, if you can do that at all, like, really do it. It's, it's so, it's, it's a liberating thing. It's a, it empowers you. And yeah. it, it makes you more yourself, like, as well, instead of, like, trying to follow something else that, you know, that isn't for you. Yeah. And I suppose, again, it comes back to humility and, and you know, leaving ego at the door and just 
being a decent human being. Yeah, that's they're the key values. I, totally. I, I think people when they see us and you know hear about the special force guys, they're all thinking like irony and stuff. But there's so much of those softer skills are hugely important. Like you mentioned them all, like empathy, like lack of ego, understanding, and kindness, which are people yeah. don't realise that mm. those little things are so important all our lives. You're trained to, um, you know, I suppose make decisions in a split second make judgments you know it's it's part of of the gig to yeah. survive to make the right call does that still apply now as in and I, I spoke about when i met you outside and i was speaking a, a mile a minute that's that's not normally how i am but it was weirdly i, I could hear this voice in my head going just calm down and it was a kind of a nervous reaction because yeah. i've been watching you on telly um can you pick that up from people can you pick up their vibe kind of straight away I can, I think. I think my EQ, I like to think my EQ is pretty good and I'm good at, I won't say reading people, but like feeling people or understanding people a little yeah. bit. And that's probably a natural thing and that I've kind of helped on with other things. And I, ca- I can understand when people are a little bit, I won't say nervous, but like aware of, now because of who I am and you meet, especially younger people, like they're, they can hardly talk to you sometimes, you know? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. like, don't forget, like when I was a bodyguard for all these people, uh, these, you know, famous people and all this kind of stuff well let's name drop a little bit because I know you've done you've worked with big companies like Mastercard yeah. you've worked with U2 yeah um, do you want to throw out a few other well it's not yeah like just a few other people like you know like Elton John all these kind of people odds uh, and ends you know but, like, but it's, not, it's not you know it's not the name <laughs> like I have to say like the Mastercard part of it was fantastic because I used to do their CEO when he came to Europe and a gentleman lovely man right and his EQ was unbelievable his okay a, oh my god super but like he's easy to mind because most people didn't know who he was and it was great. So you yeah, can go yeah, somewhere yeah, in London yeah, yeah. and Paris and, you know, not that many people know. So it's easy to mind. No, Bono, that's a different kettle of fish. Different animal altogether. Jesus, yeah. everyone wants a piece of him. Like, of course. Know, hard work for him, like, you know. Yeah, and hard work for you then as well. well yeah, okay, you exactly. have to be more aware. Oh, Jesus, yeah. But like, don't get me wrong. I, I only did four months with, with them boys um, and it was more residential. So it was like, it was pretty straightforward, really, and interesting, but... What I learned in it, like, is, yeah, I, would I be into looking after someone that famous all the time? Uh, I probably wouldn't. Okay. I probably wouldn't. But um, for small periods of time, yeah. And why? Just... Because you just, like... It's not the, the physical threat of him being hurt or injured. Yeah, that's there too. But it's a threat of, like, you know, a shot of him, like, I don't know, in his underpants or something by the poo or whatever it is. I you know, know what and you it, mean, It's yeah, more okay. prestige thing. And you're trying to protect his prestige and his privacy more so which is harder to do, you know, it's really hard to do. It's the yeah. hardest part of that security. Like, stopping being hurt is, is easy. Stopping being embarrassed or, you know, someone taking his privacy is much harder to do. Yeah, because paparazzi are sneaky. They're, they are sneaky, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah Jesus, yeah, yeah, they are yeah, sneaky. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they'll yeah. do everything in their they'll power to get that shot. They don't care. Mm. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care that, you know, these people ha- are in their own private home and doing whatever they're doing on their downtime, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. So life now is is a combination of, I suppose, you know, at the moment you're plugging the book and yeah. um, it's doing brilliantly. And no doubt it'll be in a lot of Christmas stockings uh, this Christmas. And and of course, the, you know, on the back of the TV show, there's talk of perhaps more. And you do your core, you've your company core yeah. skills. Yeah. Um, so how does that apply to real life? As in, you know, because what you've learned 
through your uh, military training. How can we apply that into regular lives, regular jobs? So in so many ways, and that's probably the biggest learning thing I've taken from the last couple of years is how transferable those skills are to everybody. Like it doesn't matter who you are. Like, for example, I coach an under-14 football team as well, right? And it's like dealing with the Taliban sometimes, <laughs> the way you have to deal with them. So you have to be yeah. very focused. You have to keep them engaged. All Is this your things. young lads team? My young lads team, yeah, yeah. yeah. I give them a hand there. And, and the soccer team as well. So like, it's, but it's great crack. But to get back to your, your question, I suppose, like I do a lot with, with companies, individuals, groups about, you know, that teamwork kind of space and what teamwork really is and like high performance is a word that's banded around by people because I think you know you have to be at this 100% level what high performance is is that ability to deal with mistakes that's all it is it's mm. nothing to do with being perfect it's actually the opposite yeah. so you'll find that companies and teams that are high performance if you did like a, a scale they'd have more mistakes than a team that isn't because they endeavour more they try better they chance things more you yeah, know, they're yeah, more yeah. focused they're willing to go that extra bit and that's when the mistakes happen so that's a big part of what I do with people. Um, and, you know, obviously the resilience piece is huge at the moment. Uh, mindset, focus, all those things like that I've, I took as, and I learned by osmosis in the military, really, because a lot of the stuff we learned, there was no kind of, yeah, there was a program of training and there's a syllabus for the weapons and the tactics and all this stuff. But there's no syllabus of training about like dealing with someone, mm. you know, talking with someone, empathy, kindness, you know, all these things there's not there's nothing in the manual for that so you kind of learn it yourself by osmosis and some guys are better than others obviously um yeah so that's where i picked all that up as well and you obviously have it naturally i have a certain amount of it naturally yeah and like i yeah. I, I think i yeah i have i have i have yeah. but uh it, it kind of got better dealing with people in, in for example in east timor you're dealing with villagers like in africa you're dealing with people in afghanistan i was working with afghan people every day you know same in pakistan i lived on my own in pakistan for a year um, which is brilliant so like you're, you're just you're, you're, li- you're living I was living in an apartment block with like Pakistani families fantastic like lovely people mm. like I went to more dinners in people's houses for that year it was fantastic it's great mm. crack yeah so you have something else coming up as well you're doing uh, a special uh, a series of evenings with Rory O'Connor I who am of course was in was in was in Hell Week and I think really you know, I did a gig with Rory um, some time ago and I just, I really liked the guy straight away when I met him. Um, but I think for people who weren't aware and just knew him as Rory's stories, I think that we kind of fell in love with him a lot on the show and how he just, he wore his heart in his sleeve and he just, he spoke very um, truthfully about his struggles with his own mental health. So you, you guys are going to sit down and be in conversation and, and talk about a lot of the stuff that I suppose has really impacted a lot of people during the time of the pandemic, which is, you know, struggling with not doing okay, the change and how that has impacted. And the core word, as you said, is resilience. Yeah, look, Rory's a great guy. And look, I didn't know him before the show, obviously, but um, he's affectionately number 13 to me forevermore. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, he's a super individual. And we, yeah, we are going to m- make that step. Um, like he comes at it slightly different to me mm. and what we're doing. So I think what we project out to people will be will be very good because like, as you said, people will see me as this kind of robot type person, you know, which, uh, yeah, and some of that's OK, too. But they'll see Rory, as you said, as this like absolutely like honest, straight, lovable kind of heart and sleeve guy, which like disarms people because, you know, there's no bending him. He's completely straight. I'm similar in a way. I'm just kind of more, I suppose, um, I won't say disciplined, but it's because of my background. I have a different way of coming across. But we, we will be talking about like, you know, how people can endure 
adversity like on a daily level not not just all the mad stuff i'm talking about like those skills in those crisis environments can fall down to smaller things and like it's it's a simple routine of like you know maybe a four point mindset thing in your head and maybe some breathing techniques and it'll cover 99 percent of what happens to you in your life you know if you can just get it right yeah you know like from like the kids one of the kids jumping out the back window to the fridge blowing up or whatever happens yeah yeah. that drive us all mad yeah so. so with Rory, we saw we saw that he was comfortable. I mean, whether he was or he wasn't, he was upset. Mm. He was crying on camera, and and I suppose it's it's very powerful to see that and see somebody just own their emotion. Um, do you cry easily? No, no. And I don't mean that as like I'm a hard man. I just don't. Um, it's not necessarily in me. Um, would I prefer if I did? Probably. It'd okay. be better for me. But uh, my way of doing that is training. So I train to get that emotion out of me at times. Um, no, but I don't cry easily. And is that, do you think again, coming back to training, is it because of your training? No, I think I'm naturally like that. Um, Even th- as a kid? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Like, uh, like, I don't, it's not that I frown on it. Like, of course, I think it's a great thing, no matter who you are, to be able to do that, like to be able to express your emotions like that. Um, but like, yeah, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a easily a crier, unfortunately. Yeah, so if you did start crying, you'd be surprised. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'd be a bit shocked. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Ray, thanks a million for this chat. You have been, uh, I mean, look, we've only scratched the surface and I know that the book is, um, it's, a, it's a fabulous read, but it's still only giving a snapshot into uh, some of the experiences you've had through your career. Uh, so continued success will be glued to the next series if there is another series of Ultimate Hell Week yeah, potentially is the word potentially potentially, potentially. <laughs> thank you so much for your time really appreciate it oh, look lovely to meet you thanks very much it was a great chat if you enjoyed this episode feel free to share it with family or friends and you can show your support on Apple or Spotify by clicking follow leaving a rating or even a quick comment thank you so much you've been listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.